Hi, welcome to another episode of Reluctant Psalm Podcast. Wanted to apologize for it being a few days since I've put anything out. Uh, if anybody is not in school, um, there are finals right now. So uh, that's kind of what's been keeping me busy. I'm taking a little Mandarin class, so just studying that and a few other classes. Um, that being said, I'll try to, after next week, which is the final week of final week of finals, last week of finals, I'll try to uh, be back to a more regular schedule of posting the uh, podcast. So today I wanted to focus on beer, but first I wanted to review wine as uh, the podcast is primarily about wine. So uh, the wine that I'm reviewing, I'll be putting up on my Instagram in a little while. Uh, It's a 2017 Gruner Veltliner. So Gruner is maybe a grape that people aren't incredibly familiar with, um, that you may have heard of a few times, but maybe doesn't really kind of ring a bell unless you see it on a list. Um, so I'll go into that a little bit. But the Pickler, uh, Krutzler, uh, Reed, Lobener, Klostersatz is the uh, producer. Uh, so Pickler, Krutzler is the producer. Um, Reed, Lobener, Klostersatz is the quality quality level or kind of a single vineyard uh, area in Austria. So in Austria, they're growing um, most of their grapes in the Wachau region. The Wachau region is W um, in case you're ever looking for it or want to look it up or want to learn a little bit more about it. So the winery itself is a husband and wife team, uh, Eric Krutzler and Elizabeth Pickler Krutzler. Um, So the uh, husband married into a family that had a uh, fairly extensive winery. Um, and so mm. when they took over the winery, they wanted to honor the name Pickler and just add Krutzler to the end instead of just changing the entire winery to Krutzler. Um, the winery prides itself uh, for not using insecticides. They're um, uh, sustainably farmed. Um, and this particular wine, uh, the Reed Lobener Klostersatz, uh, is uh, about 20 to 40-year-old vines Um so not incredibly old vines, but fairly old for most of their other production that they're doing. So uh, white wine, for anybody that doesn't know at this point, um, Gruner Veltliner is a grape that's normally well known for being dry and people call it spicy. Um, and we'll get into that. But this particular wine, uh, really beautiful color, um, very light hue of color to it, almost uh, see-through. Um, on the nose, I got a lot of pear and on the palate, I got a lot of uh, lemon acidity, um, salinity. Uh, there was spice, like a white pepper, and then uh, some sage. It's just one of the herbs that jumped out to me. I'm not incredibly fluent when it comes to uh, fruit profiles uh, on tasting, but um, herbs and, and spices I can definitely pick out. So this is a great wine for me. So again, speaking a little bit on Gruner Veltliner, the grape, uh, Gruner's grown everywhere. Um, it's kind of famous for being grown in Austria. Um, there's a lot of other places that make it. There's, you know, California, uh, Washington, it's, it's everywhere. Um, but the kind of origins of high quality Gruner Veltliner came from Austria. Um, the wine is known for being incredibly, uh, food friendly. Um, you can generally find it on most restaurants wine lists and they'll normally have a bottle or two bottles. Um, several restaurants will have, you know, a little bit more, uh, dedication to the grape, uh, as it does show incredibly well with food. And most of the time, the wines are relatively inexpensive. Uh, if you find a Gruner Veltliner in the grocery store, I'd say pick it up and give it a try. Um, 
If it's California Gruner, just be aware that it might be stylistically slightly different than uh, Austrian Gruner. But if you can go to a grocery store, if you can go to a bottle shop and you can get a bottle of Austrian Gruner Veltliner, um, I'd say to give it a try. Um, you can probably pick a nice bottle up retail for under 30. Um, you can normally get a solid bottle on a list in a restaurant for under 80. Um, and not to say that the wines don't garner a higher price in certain circumstances, uh, but in general, the, the wine is uh, relatively affordable. Um, the reason that I think that it's so affordable is because it's a little less known. I mean, obviously, you know, people think of French wine and they think of Bordeaux and they think of Burgundy um, and people think of Italy and they think of Barolo and Brunello. Um, and I don't really think that when you think old world wine that uh, Austria and Germany are kind of areas that jump out immediately, um, but maybe they should be. Um, Germany is producing a lot of Pinot Noirs lately uh, that are really delicious. Um, Spätburgunder is what they call it. There's also other wineries that just call it Pinot Noir. Uh, but the uh, grape Grüneveltliner is exceptional from the Wachau region. So if you're looking for a really nice white that goes really well with food, I'd highly recommend it. So the grape itself uh, is small, yellowish, greenish grapes on clusters. The clusters are pretty spread out. Uh, the traditional tasting notes of a Gruner Veltliner are uh, white pepper, celery, tarragon, green beans. They say it's kind of vegetal, kind of spicy. Um, they're almost always produced in a dry style. The fruit on the palate is generally lemon, lime, or grapefruit. Um, so think really citrusy. I mean, it's, it's a pretty straightforward wine. Um, with age, they can get very complex and certainly young ones can be complex, but if you're just going to go grab a bottle off a shelf, uh, in general, you'll get a pretty straightforward, uh, acidic, uh, spicy white wine. Um, it goes really exceptionally with uh, Asian food or also really rich foods, things with a lot of butter. Um, and I would say that the best wine pairings would probably be uh, camembert cheese or ricotta. Um, there's also, it's one of the few wines that they say can successfully pair with asparagus or artichoke dishes. So thinking of a grilled asparagus course or uh, asparagus risotto, um, artichoke dips, uh, roasted artichokes, anything of the sort, it would go really well. If you've never had Gruner uh, and you don't know if you'll like Gruner, uh, the most similar taste profile uh, to Gruner Veltliner is Sauvignon Blanc. And Muscadet, which uh, Muscadet we talked about on the last podcast, is Milon de Bourgogne. So both Sauvignon Blanc and Muscadet are generally high-acid wines. Um, so that's the reason it kind of falls into that uh, similarity. So uh, today is uh, National Whiskey Day. Um, so I'll be having some whiskey later on. I'll be having Larceny, uh, maybe Weller 12, and probably uh, smoking a cigar podcast may occasionally take a turn towards cigars and whiskeys. Uh, as I've said before, I kind of want the podcast to just have a, a broad reach um, so I don't really get pigeonholed and uh, everybody's encouraged to listen in and, and anybody that knows anything about it or wants to talk about it is always more than welcome on the podcast. I'm more than willing to talk about things besides wine if we need to also. So, Aside from it being Whiskey Day, the main topic of today's podcast, besides a little history on Gruner, which you just got, is beer. So beer is something that I think people often think of, and they just immediately assume Stella, and they assume 
Coors Light or Miller Light, and some people probably consider IPAs, and I'm sure everybody kind of has a different um, thought of an approach to beer. So today, I just kind of wanted to go over the basics of beer, and in different episodes, we'll probably go through a little bit more of a extensive explanation of certain categories of beers or styles, but today... I just wanted to talk about kind of the origins of beer and kind of the bare necessities, if you will, or beer necessities, possibly, if, uh, you know, you'd like to think of it that way. So beer is a very old tradition um, for the human species. Um, beer is considered one of the uh, oldest alcoholic beverages that there was. Oftentimes it's argued whether it was beer, whether it was wine, um, but it wasn't spirits because there wasn't distillation. So they say beer originated in ancient Egypt um, and kind of Mesopotamia is where they first found some notes and some history on it. But there's actually notes that they say or, or stories that they say that date back to 7000 BC China. Now, when you think of China and you think of beer, maybe they don't go together in your head. For me, I think of Sing Tao and I think of some other great Chinese beers I've had. Um, but I normally think beer and I think Germany, or I think beer and I think IPA, so I think America. Um, but uh, China could make beer also. So beer can be made from any kind of grain. Um, it doesn't have to be uh, malted barley or barley. Um, it can be made from rice. So it's quite possible that there were beers being made or a style of beer being made. Uh, 7,000 BC, which would be pretty crazy to think that 9,000 years ago, somebody was making beer and we're still drinking that today. And it's something that we make. It's not something that just naturally occurs, which I think is also um, really amazing to consider the level of evolution that uh, this drink has experienced in its time on this planet. Um, You know, when you think of water and you think now how people have uh, distilled water and reverse osmosis water and filtered water and bottled water, all of these different versions of water, uh, they're all kind of water in the end. They're all H2O. Um, There's certainly different processes on how they're getting the water into the bottle or filtering the water, but at the end of the day, it's water. So beer is so different. There's so many styles. There's so many different approaches to it. Um, I often say, people ask me, you know, oh, well, when you go out to dinner, Chris, what do you drink? Because they know I'm into wine. And I often respond, uh, beer. The reason I normally drink beer uh, is because um, it's a little bit more filling, which uh, slows me down a little bit on eating and, and overall consumption of alcohol. Um, I also really enjoy beer because I can just drink a beer and I realize that I don't really know a lot about it. And that's okay. Um, I can sit and I have a beer and not overanalyze it or critique it or try to stack it against another type of that beer that I've had. Um, There's certainly, you know, uh, classic styles of beers um, that I would say if a new world brewer was making it would maybe be looked at differently. But I think there's a lot less um, standards for beer producers than there is wine producers. And I still think there's many beer producers that hold themselves to a higher standard but there's not as much uh, snobbery or um, judgment that comes from 
the beer community. I think everybody's aware that everybody does it differently and it's and that's okay. And I think oftentimes wine is thought to be right one way and wrong another way. And I would agree to an extent, but I would say in a grand scheme of things that I don't necessarily agree with that um, thought process. Again, I mean, I've talked before, beers were made for for different people and different cuisines and different regions, and they were made out of whatever things were nearby and whatever things were available to use to make the beer. Um, so there's so many different bases and there's so many different styles. And then beyond that, the brewing process itself gets really um, intense and technical. And, and uh, you know, I mean, it's, it's just evolved ever since. Um, to me, I like every kind of beer. And, and similarly, I like every kind of wine. It just depends. Sometimes I'm not always in the mood for something. Um, I'm not always in the mood for an IPA. I'm not always in the mood for a sour. Um, I normally really enjoy sours, especially if I've already had a beer or two. Uh, it's light, refreshing, kind of cleanses the palate. Um, and I normally like IPAs if I'm kind of having my first beer of the day or if I'm going to have something with dinner. Um, just it has a little bit more heft to it. It has a little bit of bitterness. Um, which I kind of like. But beer on a base form is uh, divided into either ales or lagers. Those are the two styles of beer, or the two um, core styles of beers. Um, when you think ales, some of the things that that might remind you that it's an ale are IPAs, stouts, ambers, brown ales, obviously brown ale, amber ale, uh, Indian pale ale, um, obviously ales in the name, but things like stouts are also ales. Um, and the brands that kind of jump out to me are things like um, Pliny the Elder, Ballast Point, Newcastle, Sierra Nevada. They all kind of make um, ales. And then you have lagers. And lagers, uh, think Pilsners, Box, um, light beers like Bud Light, Coors Light, Miller Light, and uh, also malt liquors. So Cella uh, Artois, uh, Miller Light, Miller Genuine Draft, Budweiser, um, and uh, Mad Dog 2020. No, sorry, that's wine. See, I'm getting my topics mixed up. Uh, Steel Reserve. There we go. Uh, malt liquor that uh, hopefully brings everybody back to wonderful memories of their younger years. Uh, so I'll take a second to go a little bit more into each of the styles, ales and lagers. So um, ales are warm fermentation. Uh, they're generally done with top fermenting yeast. Um, the top fermenting yeast uh, is something that was done for a very long time, and lagers weren't really produced for a long time. The reason was was because of refrigeration. So, for an ale, um, they kind of date back to medieval times. Um, they were made from grains, and for uh, medieval farmers, uh, it generally made up. 80% of their diet was grains, and they were either getting their grains through beers, pottage, or breads. Pottage is just kind of like a porridge made from grains. Um, whereas lagers are done with uh, cool fermented, uh, bottom fermenting yeast, um, originally. Some of them are done different now, but they used to be done with bottom fermenting yeast. And what they would do is, is they would dig these cellars, and they would fill the cellars with the beers, um, and then they would put in ice from the lakes and from the ravines nearby that was frozen, and it would help kind of cool it down. And then they would also plant chestnut trees. And the chestnut trees, um, generally the roots don't dive super deep, um, and they offer a lot of shade. 
So the shade that they were offering helped cool the soil uh, and also the roots not diving incredibly deep helped the roots from uh, intruding into the cellar, uh, possibly damaging the structure. Now, tasting beers in those areas is kind of what brought about the idea of a beer garden. Um, There was beautiful chestnut trees, hills, grass, lots of places to sit and enjoy. And so that's where that started. But uh, loggers are um, generally, the the evolution of loggers kind of evolved alongside refrigeration, uh, which allowed them to make year-round brewing and and make things during the summer when it's not so cool and and also there's not ice. Um, And the first large-scale factory done for lager, uh, interestingly enough, was for uh, Spaten Brewery in the 1870s. So Spaten is a really great brewery that makes um, the Optimator, which is a really uh, excellent beer, but um, in general, really great brewery. Uh, Crazy to think they've been around that long. Another thing I learned during this podcast. Um, And kind of the idea for lagers is they're kind of like, uh, if you've ever heard of a cabinet wine, and when I say cabinet, I don't don't mean um, cabinet wine. Um, Cabinet wine is a, a quality level of German Riesling, um, that they say is just kind of easy to grab out of the cabinet and drink. It's not an incredibly high cabinet, uh, incredibly high level, um, just um, a nice, easy drinking wine. And lager uh, literally translates to either, it's kind of like storeroom or warehouse is what it means. So a lager beer was kind of designed to just be stored around and it was made in these big warehouses. It wasn't something that somebody made in in their house um, or in their kitchen, like what was going on with uh, most ales at the time. So tapping into uh, beers, lagers, ales, um, I kind of wanted to uh, clarify some things. Oftentimes I think some people think beer is made from hops. Now beer is made with hops, but beer is not made from hops. Um, So when most people think of a hoppy beer or a bitter beer, they think of an IPA. So uh, what I'm drinking right now is a Lagunitas Maximus IPA. So this is a pretty hoppy beer, uh, but not incredibly hoppy. If there's anybody out there that thinks that they don't like hoppy beers or they don't like IPAs or they don't like um, uh, bitter beers, um, there's a scale of bitterness that exists, which is really interesting. There's uh, a few wines that do a pH scale on their label that tell you the level of acidity um, and there's a few sakis that do dryness to sweetness ratio on their label, uh, but beers generally have an IBU level. And you can use an app like Untapped, which is a U-N-T-A-P-P-D, and Untapped is great. It's how I track my beers. It's how I keep track of what I've had and what I haven't had and what I thought of it. But if you log in the beer to Untapped, um, it'll bring up the brewery. It'll bring up the beer that you're having. It'll tell you the IBUs and the uh, alcohol percentage in case you're ordering something off draft and you ordered it by the name or you just ordered something by the name and you're uh, more interested in learning more about the beer or you like it and you want to know about how many IBUs it has. So IBU is a a level of measurement. uh, It's called International Bitters Units and it tells you how bitter a beer is. Now, opposite of pH um, and pH balances acidity, about 7% is neutral, and then as you get lower, the acidity gets higher. Um, this is different. In IBUs, it's kind of a more traditional sense of a scale. 
Um, the beer that I'm drinking right now is 72 IBUs. On the website, it says 72.41 IBUs. Um, so maybe they're just trying to be more precise, but a fairly bitter beer. Um, if you've never had a sessional IPA, um, there's generally some really great IPAs that are out there that are about 20 IBUs. Um, there's plenty of beers that have really low IBUs that I'd highly recommend if you're an individual that doesn't like to drink uh, a quote-unquote bitter beer. I was doing air quotes, but I realized I'd have to say it for you to know that I was doing those. Um, and so hops being what goes into the beers that make it bitter, uh, hops is a bittering agent. Um, originally, they would use this uh, thing called gruit, and it was uh, uh, like a bunch of herbs and spices that were cooked down into the wort or the base fermentation of the beer, and they would offer the bittering agent. Um, but now they use most places use hops, and it adds bitterness, but they use it to um, create stability in the beer. Um, again, I have talked on a recent podcast about IPAs and how they got their original name. They started hopping the beers to increase the stability of the beer, to increase the longevity of the beer, um, which in turn allowed you to enjoy the beer in different areas across the world or enjoy the beer uh, after a certain number of days um, when in other cases it maybe wouldn't have been so fresh. Um, generally, hops give the beers their floral, fruity, citrusy notes. Uh, one of my favorites is Mosaic Hops. Mosaic Hops kind of has, uh, I might be wrong. If I'm wrong, again, please correct me. But most of the time, Mosaic Hops has a like a really great grapefruity um, uh, flavor to it. And sometimes you can't really find what hops are used in what beers, but if you find a beer that's a Mosaic Hop, I'd highly recommend trying it. Um, and again, Untapped is a really great resource that you can use to look up a beer before you decide if you want it. If you feel like, you know, you go to a, a craft beer bar and you don't want to ask the bartender a thousand questions about the beers, um, or you feel bad after two or three questions, you can always consult the app. Um, I would just say to be fairly specific with uh, the beer and the brewery and making sure that you get the right one so that way you don't accidentally order the wrong thing or um, you're not accidentally led to ordering the wrong thing. Um, so just a little bit about this beer. Uh, this beer was made by uh, Tony Maggi. Um, it's a really, really great brewery. Lagunitas is pretty popular. Um, it's been around for, I think, 30 years now, about, uh, but it was pretty small originally. Um, it was just a guy that was doing brewing at home, and then he bought a warehouse, and he brewed more, and he brewed more, and he brewed more, and now he's all over the country. I think they're in like 20 countries or something from what I read. So this is the Maximus Ale. Um, the Maximus Ale is really delicious. Um, pretty high ABV, 8.2 ABV. Um, alcohol by volume, and again, 72.41 IBUs. So the alcohol is high, uh, the bitterness is high, um, but it brings out a really nice balance out of the beer. Um, it's nice because sometimes you get beers that are just really hoppy and kind of off the beaten trail, um, and they're really, really, really bitter, or they're really floral. And this is nice. It kind of brings a, a really lovely balance. So uh, again, beers are generally made... Um, from malted barley, uh, and then they're generally uh, bittered or uh, stabilized with hops. So uh, a hoppy beer is uh, just a beer that has more hops, uh, but a beer is not made from hops. Sorry about that. Got a uh, notification there. I'll try to mute those from now on in case that was loud in anybody's ear. So uh, that 
pretty much sums it up for the podcast and most of the topics that I wanted to talk about. Um, just wanted to thank everybody again for listening um, and thank everybody again for their feedback. Uh, I really enjoyed hearing from certain people. There's people that I haven't heard from in a long time that this has put me back in contact with. And it's really a pleasure to uh, hear from everybody again and know that everybody's doing well in these really crazy times. Um, obviously, it's stressful for everyone and it's uh, anxiety uh, filled. But, um, you know, I would say the best thing to do is just uh, slow down and and relax and remember to breathe. Remember to appreciate the things around you and um, take some time with your families. Uh, enjoy, enjoy your friends. Enjoy your life. Um, if anything, this should be a wake-up call that uh, life is finite. Um, we are not here forever and we're not promised tomorrow. Um, I think that life could be something that uh, moves more quickly than you'd expect. So uh, anyways, have some whiskey tonight, uh, National Whiskey Day. Have a beer, uh, and uh, as always, drink wine. Have a great day.